Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. You know we've been going through the book of Acts. It's been wonderful. We are going to continue along that line. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 11. I don't know if you've been with us, but if you have, you know what happened in Acts chapter 10, something dramatic, something very important in your history. The reason it's important in your history is I believe tonight we are a room full of people who are ethnically Gentile. So we are not full-blooded Jewish people. You might want to be, but I, I think we all come from mixed stock. And uh, most likely, I see a lot of, uh, I see some people from Asia. I see some Celtic ancestry. I see some First Nations people. I don't see a ton of Jewish-looking people. So correct me if I'm wrong. The reason this is important is because this was the beginning of the church being opened up to everybody. Jew and Gentile alike. Because when Jesus died, the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, what also was crucified with him was he broke down the dividing wall. And he grafted us with his blood. He made us, redeemed us, and made us part of the seed of Abraham. He made us part of the family of God. The wild branch, the scripture calls us the wild branch, was grafted onto the, to the plant. We were grafted on. Have you ever seen a branch grafted onto a plant? And you see that plant start to grow into that grafted branch. It's a wonderful thing. Well, that's what happened to us. We were grafted into the family of God. Formerly in the Old Testament, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. Now we have become the, the people of God, the family of God. The scripture says you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had not obtained mercy. But now you have obtained mercy. So this is who we are. And the Bible also says that those who are far off, those who are distant, separated from the covenant, separated from the commonwealth of Israel, those that were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. What a wonderful thing. So in Acts chapter 10, what happened was, was that Peter saw a vision. God told him, first God spoke to a man named Cornelius, an Italian guy who happened to be a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion in charge of a lot of troops, uh, who had given much to the Jewish people, built synagogues that he wasn't even allowed to go in, fed the poor when he wouldn't even be allowed to eat with them at their house because he was unclean. And yet he honored God by treating these people well, by giving and by praying and the Bible says that his prayers and his giving rose up to God as a monument. So he was the first one to receive the gospel as a Gentile. In Acts chapter 2, you see people from all nations receive the gospel on the day of Pentecost. But the Bible says that all of those folks were Jewish people from different nations. So they had gathered from nations all over the world, all over the empire, but they were all already Jews. Cornelius was the first Gentile, him and all his friends and his household that were gathered that day, the first Gentiles to receive the word of God. And when Peter preached it, he didn't know what was going to happen. God had given him a vision and showed him all this food he wasn't allowed to eat. And when he saw the food, God said, well, it wasn't food yet. It was still animals. And God told him, kill those animals and eat them. And Peter said, Lord, you know, I've never touched anything unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord rebukes him and says, don't call anything unclean if I've cleansed it. Don't call anything unholy if I've made it holy. Three times God has to do this to him. Three times he has to get it hammered into his head that when God cleanses something, it's not unclean anymore. Not only was God showing him there were foods he could eat now, but more importantly, there were people he should accept now. Because as soon as that vision was done, 
Three guys knocked at his door. And they were the three sent by Cornelius because Cornelius had a a vision as well. An angel appeared to him and said, I need you to go to this man's house. Here's where he's staying. Simon Peter will be staying at another man named Simon's house. You send some guys to his house and bring them to yours because he's going to preach the gospel to you. When Peter got there, he preached the gospel and didn't know what was supposed to happen. And he never preached to a Gentile before. Like we said last week, you know, he was used to preaching to Jewish people and preaching Jesus as the Messiah, taking them through the prophets and the law and saying from the beginning, God's told us a Messiah is coming. But how do you tell that to somebody who doesn't know these prophets, doesn't know the, and is not under the Mosaic law? So Peter preached from the Spirit. And as the Spirit gave him utterance, he spoke. And what happened was amazing because immediately while he's still preaching, that whole house began to speak in other tongues. And Peter and his buddies look at each other and said, well, I guess they can get saved too because they're already on like step three right now. (laughs) They didn't say any prayer. They didn't get baptized, but they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he says, if they can receive the Holy Spirit, I guess we can dunk them in water too. I guess they can be part of the church. In Acts chapter 11, he's got to figure out how he's going to break that to everybody. Now, I know this might sound foreign to you because we go, of course everybody can hear the gospel. I mean, it's the strangest thing. I, I minister in Loon Lake. I've been pastoring in Loon Lake longer than I've been pastoring here. And in Loon Lake... People from the town side, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but they used to, people on the town side would call us the, the Indian church, and people in the reserve would call us the white people church. So we just didn't know where we fit in. We were kind of glad to get that comment from both sides, because we had a wonderful mix. But, uh, you know, somebody who wanted to insult a native Christian might say, well, that's white man's religion, to which you could easily respond, white people were not the first people to get the gospel. We were much later on. First people were Middle Easterners, you know. Obviously, now there were Greeks as well and Italians, and you could say, well, they're white. But us really white folk, and you know who you are. (laughs) I'm not talking olive skin. I'm talking like when I wear shorts. You know, you have to put sunglasses on. My wife and I were concerned that our son would come out translucent because we were so white. It's like, the, it's like Moses' face when he came down from the mountain, and you need to shield it. So I'm talking about these folks. We all know where we came from, us folks from the Celtic islands and from Scandinavia and all of that. They didn't receive the gospel until much later. And our religion was very much similar to some of these other tribal religions. Our ancestors, my ancestors, you know, they worshiped the, tr- you know, they worshiped the spirits in the trees, and, and uh, they had some pretty gross ceremonies as well that I don't even want to go into. They were, they were very pagan, very idols, idolatrous, and, and they needed the gospel just like everyone else. And so we might not think it's so weird to say everybody should receive the gospel because that's such a part of our life. We would never say, I can't preach the gospel to this person. I shouldn't ever preach the gospel to this nation. But at that time... These Jewish people had only gone to church with Jewish people. They had only eaten meals with Jewish people. And when Jesus came, he came to the house of Israel. In fact, when a non-Jewish lady asked him to heal her child, he said, healing is for the children. Do you want me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs? He called the lady a dog. 
That doesn't sound like our Jesus, does it? His point was, was that he came, his time on the earth, he came first to Israel. But then he opened it up and he told them, you'll preach this gospel to every nation. You'll preach this gospel to every nation. All, every tribe and every tongue will hear the word of God. But it took a little while for any of the apostles to catch on to that because they'd never done that before. So they were going from synagogue to synagogue telling people the Messiah has come, but nobody went outside the synagogue. Nobody went to where the pagans were meeting. Nobody told their Italian sausage guy, hey, listen, something's happening. In fact, they didn't even leave Jerusalem until persecution forced them out. But here's what happens. They're suddenly aware God did something. Peter had to have a vision three times and then see God demonstrate that these guys could be born again. He had to have three visions, and then he had to see these guys filled with the Spirit before he finally got that they could receive Jesus too. Now he's got to go back to his friends and convince them of the same thing. They haven't had a vision. They weren't in the room. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 11. Turn there right now. Tonight we're going to look at this in a a certain light, which is... I think we're going to learn there's a right way to be right and a wrong way to be right. There's a right way to be wrong. I don't know if you know what that means, but there is a right way to be wrong and get right, and there's a wrong way to be wrong. You can be right and still be very wrong. You know what I'm saying? You can know the right answer. You can say the right answer, but still be in the wrong. We're going to see the grace of God work in a relationship here. And I hope that you can learn from it. And I hope that you can grow from it. Because no matter what happens, no matter how long you're on the earth, you're never, you're never done growing in Christ. If you're done growing, you might as well go see Jesus. You know what I'm saying? We've all got room to grow. In Acts chapter, I'm not telling anybody to die tonight. <laughs> I'm telling you to grow, okay? <laughs> Don't misinterpret me and go, I'm supposed to die, I guess. I'm done. If there's any perfect people in the church today, would you come up and see me after the service and we'll talk. (laughs) Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, in other words, the Jewish believers, took issue with him. Anybody ever had someone take issue with you? Anybody ever had a church person take issue with you? If you haven't, you haven't been here long, have you? I don't mean here, but I just mean in the body of Christ. Hopefully here is not the issue. Saying, here's what they were saying. You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Well, they're not going to like the rest of the story. They're already hung up on the eating with them part. You went to non-Jewish people, uncircumcised people, you ate with them. God knows what they served you. I bet you didn't even ask. I bet you just gobbled it down because you're a fisherman. You don't know any better. You ate with these slops. You ate with these unclean people. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. An object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky and it came right right down to me. And when I'd fixed my gaze on it and I was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and I saw the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which they were staying, in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six men also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angels standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who's also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. That's a key phrase. The Holy Spirit came exactly the same way as he did with all of them. He's saying they're no different than us. It happened to them just like it happened to us. And then he says, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Do you see how this conversation could have been way different? Way different. I don't know if you know this, but maybe you've noticed that people who've been in leadership or quite educated or, you know, at the top of the pyramid, the, the further up you've, you've moved, the higher up you are, the harder it is to change direction on what you believe and what you've been telling everybody. They've got to dramatically change what they've been saying, how they believe, how they've been preaching. This is all going to happen because one guy said everything's different now. And they've got to receive this. So all these guys here. Now, don't you know that Peter could have handled this differently? He was challenged. It says they took issue with him. They confronted him. Now, I know when we read this, we clean it up in our brains. But let me just remind you how you feel when someone comes to you a little uppity and you've really had an experience with God. The Lord's changed you. He's done something in you. And just think about what happens, what it feels like when someone comes up to you and takes issue with what God did in your life or around you in someone else's life. How do you feel when that happens? What's the first thing that usually happens? Usually you want to get defensive, don't you? Number one, you know you're right. So sometimes you think you have the right to be defensive. And not even defensive, but offensive in return. Watch what Peter does. It says he began to explain to them in an orderly manner. He just, he didn't snap at them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't make them feel stupid for saying what they said. Why? Because just a couple days later, he was in the same boat as them. Pardon the fisherman pun. He was in the same place as they were. This is one thing we got to realize. You know, sometimes we grow so much and we've come so far that we forget we started somewhere. We forget we had to start somewhere. We act like we've been this at this place all our life. You know, one of the biggest things about a, a Pharisee-type attitude or a legalistic-type attitude is that, is that those that are in the wrong or those that are, you know, too far over the edge are always just below where you're at. 
Like the people that, you know, if, if you just, I mean, if you're super legalistic, then all the people going to hell are the people that are just a little worse than you. You're where you draw the line, right? That's where the line is. Never mind that a week ago you were where they are. Now you've grown, so the line went with you. We've got to remember where we started from. You know, I just, it's hilarious. So, I mean, it'd be hilarious if it wasn't so sad. But watching people who just got a revelation from God about something. And then they treat the other people who don't have a relationship, a relation, revelation yet like they're stupid. Like, they, like, what's wrong with you? Haven't you heard this before? When you just came from the same spot. Peter understands this. He's humble. The Bible says, have humility of mind. With humility of mind, it says in Philippians, regard one another as more important than yourselves. What does humility of mind mean to you? Humility of mind. You don't think you're smarter than you are. You don't elevate yourself above people just because you know something. <laughs> I learned something really hard. When I was going through marriage counts, premarital counseling before I got married, I, um, I made the stupid decision was a good decision, but it was sort of stupid. I made the stupid decision of asking someone I knew I couldn't gloss over, I couldn't use fancy words and impress them. I, I asked a man that I knew would speak to me straight to do our premarital counseling. Now, that was a good decision. It's also a stupid decision because I couldn't just, you know, fancy feet my way out of it, and I, he, he was going to call me out on some stuff. So if I wanted to be right, I wasn't always right, you know? Thank God he spoke to us straight. And he told us how, you know, here's what you need to expect. Here's what you need to get ready for. And he said to me, Jonathan, you're a preacher. He goes, I'm a preacher too. As preachers, you talk on your feet a lot. You learn to quickly put what's in your head or what's in your heart into words. You have to. You know, when you first start preaching, you have three pages of notes and you stay behind this like it's your own personal fortress and you go through your notes and you say this and you say this. But after a, a period of time, you're able to speak from your heart, speak from the spirit and form those things into words. Well, that's a great thing. Here's what happens. When you're in a conversation with somebody and you maybe have a disagreement, you can talk a lot better than they can most of the time. You can talk your way out of things. You can, you can make a good argument. He says, Jonathan, just because you can out-talk her doesn't make you right. I said, no, that's not true. He said, yeah, you, you said just because you could talk her, uh, out-talk her, just because you can talk longer, you can talk faster, you can talk smarter. It doesn't mean I am smarter. It just means I could make my words sound like I was because I was faster than her at talking. He said, <laughs> I want to be clear about that. He said, just because you can out-talk her doesn't make you, make you right. In fact, often, it, often you'll have to find somewhere in the middle. Well, I learned and I found out that uh, that's true in a lot of different areas. You can have somebody that can win an argument and still be very, very wrong. Peter knows he's right. He knows what God has done, but he doesn't get offended. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't snap at them. He goes through in an orderly way and takes them through the steps that he had to go through to believe. And he takes them through the same steps. Now, do you see how he could have handled that way differently? The Bible says that a gentle answer turns away wrath. That's important. You ever want an example of that? Look in the book of Judges and see what Gideon did. He had a group of people that were angry with him because they weren't invited to a battle. And they were quite annoyed with him. They were quite upset with him. 
And he gave them the right word just at the right time, turned away their anger. But you see the same situation happen in Judges where, where the same situation arises and it's not a gentle answer. Somebody gets uppity and a civil war starts. The same situation could be turned into two different things. And you might think that if the civil war starts, it was their fault because I was right and they were wrong. But it might be how you handled their question. Peter handled it with the grace of God, with the wisdom of the Spirit, with love. Do you know in 1 Corinthians 3, when the Apostle Paul calls out the Corinthian church for being infants in Christ, for being spiritually immature, he's He's told us in those letters that the Corinthian church had an abundance of the gifts of the Spirit. He's told us that they had knowledge, that they had learned some things, but their immaturity wasn't about that they didn't know enough or they didn't have enough gifts working in their life or gifts working in the church. Their immaturity was shown by their strife, by their divisions, by their factions. He says, by that, I know you're immature. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit? Several of the fruit of the Spirit have to do with how you relate to other people. Gentleness, kindness, patience, self-control. All these things you don't need for nice people. You need them for people that rub you the wrong way. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is being the smartest guy in the room. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. These are things that come out in a spiritually mature person's life. So the person who knows all the answers and can win at Bible baseball and win at the trivia games and can back you in a corner in an argument every time doesn't make you the most spiritually mature person. Just means you learned a bunch of answers. But somebody at Yale School of Divinity could do that and still be very wrong. Spiritual maturity is shown by how the love of God works through you. Love doesn't always mean you roll over and become a doornut mat. Sometimes love, like the Apostle Paul in Acts 15, Galatians 2, means that you have to stand up to somebody and correct them. But the Bible says with gentleness, correct these people. Just be patient with everybody. So here's what happens. The response, now, now listen, Peter handled it the right way, and then the rest of the apostles handled it the right way too. Watch what happens. Let's go back to that verse. In verse 18, Peter has just said, Who was I that could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God. So it doesn't mean they were quiet the whole time because they were glorifying God. How do you know they were glorifying God? They were using their voice to glorify God. They were praising God. Quieted down means they stopped being upset with him. They, they stopped taking issue. They stopped arguing and began to glorify God. For a moment, I thought about titling this, Shut Up and Glorify God. But I just thought that might not go over so well. It would make a great t-shirt if it wouldn't be misinterpreted with every other person. If you didn't hear this, you would really take that wrong. So, so we're not going to call it that. Just don't get nervous. But just for you, I hope that's not offensive to anybody. Uh, they quieted down. They shut up and glorified God. They, they stopped their arguing. Now, what stopped their arguing? Not just Peter saying, I'm right, but Peter going through it and saying, this is what God did. Not only did he use his experience, but he used the words of Jesus himself. And you find the same thing in Acts 15 when the same argument arose. Can the Gentiles receive Jesus? Should we eat together? Should they, are they on the same level? You see Paul, Barnabas, and Simon Peter all 
use their experience and the scripture together. You see, we all have experience, and experience can be interpreted in a bunch of different ways. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it doesn't stand for much. But when you can say the word of God says it, and in my life I've seen it, and here's the demonstration of it, well, you've got a pretty good case, don't you? And a spiritual person will be able to admit when they're wrong and do what these guys did. They quieted down and they began to glorify God. Think about that. It would be one thing if they just quieted down, wouldn't it? That'd be a sign of maturity. They stop arguing. They, sh- they, sh- they just simmer down. They quiet down. But they didn't. They did a complete 180. They publicly, in front of other people, took issue with this guy. They said, you're wrong. But when he explains his point, they're humble enough not only to stop arguing, but to turn around and say, praise God. Look what the Lord has done. Look what God has done. God's opened the door to the Gentiles. Do you see what kind of people we can be if we let the Spirit take charge in our life instead of our own egos? Instead of our own pride? You'll have to forgive me fiddling with this microphone. This is what happens when someone else speaks on Sunday. (laughs) I have tiny little ears that just don't work as well with other people. (laughs) I'm told when I'm an old man, they'll be normal, so that's good. (laughs) But in this wonderful, couldn't you learn something from both of these groups? Because I imagine at some point in your life, whether you have now or you will someday, You're going to have a moment where God shifts you. Maybe it's slight and subtle. Maybe it's a big shift. Maybe it was going from believing one thing to having the word of God convince you of something that you didn't quite believe before. Some of you have come out of other other beliefs. Some of you have come out of other denominations. Some of you have changed a little bit in some of your theology. I'm not talking about drastic things. I mean, (laughs) you still believe Jesus is the Lord and uh, he was God come in the flesh. He was crucified. He was risen again. But maybe before you didn't believe that God did miracles anymore, that that was all passed away. And then at some point you began to believe that, yes, he does. Maybe you didn't believe that God could ever speak to someone anymore. And now you believe he does. These are things that might have changed in your life. So what do you say to the people that you used to hang with? What do you say to the people that say, what happened to you? What's wrong with you? How do you respond to that person? How do you respond to the person that doesn't believe that you're going the right way? How do you respond to the person that doesn't believe what you're telling them about what God's done in your own life? My mother-in-law was healed dramatically of a disease that wouldn't let her leave the house. They were thriving members of their church. They were asked to leave because she was telling people in the church how God had healed her. How do you respond to those people? Now those people come to her and get their hair cut now. But boy, you can imagine what a road that might have been. How you feel hurt when someone doesn't believe you. You feel hurt when you're challenged. You feel challenged when you're challenged. Can you respond with the spirit of grace on your life? I believe this is a sign of what God had done in Peter. You know, Peter was not the most congenial guy, not the most peaceful disciple, right? He was known for his brashness. Good fisherman, had that fisherman's You know, and I'm not talking about nice lake fishermen. I'm talking about good old Mediterranean sea fishermen. He had the Sea of Galilee. 
he had that he had that 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 brusque brash nature where where if he was challenged he was just going to come right out and tell you you were wrong he rebuked jesus and not quietly like not calmly can you imagine what kind of guts it would take to take Jesus aside, and t- this is what the Bible says he did. Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to be risen again. Peter takes him aside. Who do you think you are? But takes him aside and says, Jesus, you pity yourself. You don't need to do that. And Jesus responds to him, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Now, number one, look at where he's come from that point. Look where John came from that point. John, we call him the apostle of love. Because 1 John, 2 John, 3 John are so full of the love of God. He says things like, if you say you know God, if somebody says they know God and they've got no love, they're lying to you. Now, this is the guy that was trying to convince Jesus to torch a village because they didn't receive him. Just torch him, burn him. He's the apostle of love now. So you see how God changed people? God changed Peter. Peter is not... He doesn't feel offended. He realizes I was there too. What, I mean, the revelation that you've been forgiven much changes your life. Because when you realize how much I've been forgiven, you will forgive every single person that ever does you wrong, no matter how many times they do it wrong, because you say they can't possibly do so much to me that it would match what I did to God. And he forgave me. So who am I to not forgive you? Knowing how much you've been forgiven of, how much mercy has been shown you, how patient God has been with you will make you a very patient person. Also, the fruit of the Spirit in your life will bring that patience out. I've said this before, but when I, when I, when I get too busy to spend time in the Word and spend time in prayer, when I get too busy to really fellowship with the Lord and my level gets low, my level of the Spirit gets low, you, know, you still have the Holy Spirit in you, but, but you're not listening as much. You're not resting in him as much. What happens? People irritate you more. You have a shorter temper. Things annoy you that normally wouldn't annoy you. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. One of them is gentleness. One of them is love. One of them is kindness. Kindness. Think about that. The fruit of the Spirit is not, not all about your relationship with God, just you and God in a room by yourself. Most of those fruit have to do with how you're handling other people. Because I don't think you need kindness with Jesus. I don't think he cares. Well, I know he cares, but I don't think he's hurt if you're not kind to him. You might get yourself spanked, but you know. (laughs) You can yell at God and he's not going to go in a corner and cry. But kindness really comes into play when people push your buttons, when they hurt you, and when they offend you, when they challenge you. Are you willing to go through step by step in humility? Because you could go through those same steps arrogantly and still be offensive. Can you be humble like Peter was humble and say, listen, this is what happened. Could we be on the other side, have somebody challenge what we believe for a very long time and recognize that God's in it? And let our egos go. Even when those, even when people that you've kind of mentored and discipled, even when those people are watching, can you let your egos down and say, God be praised. Look what the Lord has done. Apparently, I don't know everything. I just learned something. Could you do that? Could you receive a rebuke in front of somebody else? 
Because I believe those are signs of spiritual maturity. I want to read you something in the scripture that I, I think is important for all of you that aspire to grow in the Lord. And, and maybe someday if the Lord's leading you to be in a place of leadership or the Lord's leading you to, to be in a place where you're speaking into somebody else's life. I want you to read in 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. It says, In a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. In other words, you have fancy vessels and you have vessels that you don't care if they break or not. That's 2 Timothy 2.20. In a large house, there are gold and silver vessels, but then there's some of wood and earthenware. Earthenware just means clay. You got your fancy dishes and you got your cheap dishes, right? He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, which things? Well, he's, t- he's talked earlier about some things that you need to get rid of in your life. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. And, and the, these things that he's talking about are also the things he's about to name. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Does anybody here want to be prepared for every good work? Amen. I do. I don't want to be disqualified for something because of my own personality clicks or glitches. Look at it, it says this. So if this is what you want to be, he says, flee from youthful lusts, pursue righteousness. All right, well, we can do that, right? Pursue righteousness. Chase it down. Pursue righteousness. Now, you, how can you pursue righteousness? Well, first of all, the blood of Jesus has made you righteous. So because you are righteous, you can act righteous. You can live righteous. He says pursue it in your own life. Pursue the things that make up righteousness. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. This isn't talking about a new agey, I feel peace, inner peace, or even the peace that Jesus talked about earlier when he says, my peace I give to you, don't be troubled. This is talking about the peace between brethren. Pursue peace. He says, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Why do you stay away from dumb little side theories that don't affect anything? Number one, they they take your time. But the reason given here is that they produce quarrels. Somebody's got a weird little theory or a strange little doctrine that they found on YouTube. Might be cool, might be true, might be not. You can never back it up with Scripture, but it's a little theory. Now, some people just love these things because it, it gives them something to know that nobody else knows. And you makes you feel special. I know something. That smarty pants over there doesn't know what I learned because Jesus follower 777 made a video and showed me. And the math works out why all of this means this and this means this. And if you relate to this to this and if you turn in your Bible and flip it open like this, then this happens and this happens and the sun's in the sky at the right point and the moon goes over here, then it all works out. But nobody can ever prove it. You can't really find it in the scripture unless you really do your twisting. So you have a speculation. If you're ever asked the question, how does that change my life today? Well, it doesn't, but it's pretty cool, isn't it? Okay. But you know what it produces? Quarrels. Silly fights over nothing. 
silly fights over nothing. It produces quarrels. Stay away from ignorant and foolish speculations. Speculations, you know what a speculation is. It means you don't know, you're speculating. There's nothing solid to base it on. You're just speculating. Stay away from that. You don't need that stuff. I know it's cool. Do you know what? You know the group of people I've seen drawn to the speculations? Christians who've been Christians for a very long time and heard a lot of messages and never done anything with it. Or maybe they used to do something with it, but now they've got too much time on their hands and they're hearing a lot of the word, but it's just sitting there. You get bored with the word. You want something new. Something that'll tickle you. Something entertaining. You want that preacher to say something you've never heard before. So when he says something way out there, and it's just a speculation, you can't prove it. It doesn't have any effect on your real life. But isn't that cool? Did you know this and this was? And if you do the Hebrew word and you twist it like this and you, you shake it up in a, in a, in a jar and, and then, then you throw it out like a boggle can, you know, you do that, then, then it forms these words. And you go, oh, I've learned something new. You go and tell all your friends. And, and a spiritually discerning friend would say, how's that changed your life? It hasn't changed my life. How's that helping you with your walk with the Lord? Mm, I feel like I know something new now. It's, it's cool. Well, isn't it just cool? Yeah, but it's just going to cause quarrels because somebody's going to come along and says, well, I heard this. Well, I heard this. And pretty soon, you're just arguing over nothing. So it says, it re, stay away from these foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Look at this. The Lord's bondservant. Anybody here want to be a bondservant of the Lord? You want to be one of those? The Lord bondservant must not be quarrelsome. That means you, you shouldn't like arguments. You shouldn't like fight. You should be willing to stand up for something if it needs to be stood up for. You shouldn't back down because you're a coward. But you also shouldn't be itching for a fight. Two other places in Paul's first letter to Timothy and in Titus, Paul says almost the exact same thing. He says anybody that's going to be in a position of leadership must not be, and my Bible says pugnacious. Does anybody know what the word pugnacious means? Anybody heard the word pugilism? Pugilistic. It's an old term that you, English term that you use for boxing. A pugilist was somebody that, you know, stood there, you know, old school style, and they just kind of stood there and did this, and you just, you take the first punch like a man, and then you give the next punch. Pugilistic pugilism means a striker, somebody likes to hit. Now, he's not talking about physically somebody likes to hit. He's talking about somebody that likes to get in a good verbal spar. He says those people should not be in leadership. Now, I thought you, th you might think those are the people that should be in leadership. People in leadership should be willing to take a punch. They should be willing to stand up and not run away from a fight. They should be brave. They should be bold. But if they're itching for a fight, they should not be in leadership because they will end up in a lot of fights. And they're going to hurt people that don't deserve to be hurt. And they're going to cause strife where there doesn't need to be strife. Look at Jesus. They're hitting him. When, they, when Jesus was arrested, they blindfolded him, and they kept hitting him and saying, hey, prophesy, tell us who hit you. And it says Jesus didn't say a word. They plucked out his beard. He didn't say a word. They put him in front of Herod, and Herod tried to bait him several times. And it says even though he was slandered, even though people were saying things that weren't true, he said not one word. That's called the meekness of Christ. 
And if you look it up in, your, in, in like the Vines Dictionary, you know, a, a Bible dictionary, uh, one of the definitions it will often give you is that meekness is a fruit of strength. Only the strong can be truly meek. You think about it, when my two-year-old hits me, I don't, I don't, I'm not hurt so bad that I have to strike him back. Isn't it cute when your two-year-old little, now it stops being cute at a certain point. I don't mean violently hits me. I mean, he likes to play fight. He likes to get chucked around. Moses thinks it's the greatest thing in the world when you flip him and you throw him around. So he'll come back at you. That's what little boys do. He, he doesn't hit when he's angry. He just, he likes to play. Now, if he comes at me a little harder than I expected, do I snap and start hitting him? No. I'm way stronger than him. I don't need to beat him up. <laughs> Nor should I. But I'm way stronger. I can't, I'm not going to be baited. Now, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being arrogant saying I'm way stronger than a two-year-old, am I? I mean, that's okay, right? <laughs> I don't think that's really bragging. I remember the first time I saw pain in my dad's eyes as a result of something I did. And I was so proud. But I remember him taking a couple of deep breaths. I hit him in a place I shouldn't have hit him. I didn't know. And, and I remember him taking a couple of deep breaths. <sighs> Jonathan, don't do that again. <laughs> he didn't hit me back. Why? Because he was strong enough he didn't have to. Strong enough to control himself. The strong, the spiritually mature among us. Any of you that aspire to leadership, don't be quarrelsome. Don't be someone who likes to hit. Because if you like to hit, you're going to get in a lot of fights that didn't need to happen. What does the Bible say? It says, what's the cause of your struggles and your, and your strife and your quarrels? It says, you bite, you bite at one another. You don't realize you're the same body and you're hurting. You're eating each other up. He says, if you want to bite at each other, make sure you're not consumed. You're, you're part of the same body. So what you're doing is you're smacking yourself in the face. And it's hurting the body. What Peter and the apostles showed us was that you can be right in a right way and you can be wrong in the right way. There's a right way to be wrong. And that's to be, in both, in both cases, it's to be humble and let the Spirit speak. If you're the speaker, let the Spirit speak through you. Don't let your personal feelings get involved. Don't let your little emotions or, you know, what, you know, you feel like you were challenged or you feel like somebody's standing up to you and they shouldn't have. Speak with grace. The Bible says, let your speech be seasoned with grace as though with salt. Be humble. Realize you were there at one point too. Take them through the steps. And if you're the person hearing this, that doesn't mean everybody that says God told them something or everybody says they got a new revelation is right. But when you genuinely recognize that God is doing something and he's changing your mind about something, be humble enough to stop, be quiet, and be humble enough to turn around and say, well, glory to God. That's awesome. That takes a lot of ego shrinking for that to happen. But I believe the spirit is stronger than your ego. If you'll let the spirit rule in your life, it's going to be stronger than your ego. It's going to be stronger than your pride. It's going to be stronger than, than your need to be right all the time. This will work in marriage. This will work as you're with your brothers and sisters in the church. This will even work with unbelievers. Be humble. Be bold, be strong, be humble, be loving, be patient, be long-suffering, have self-control. 
All of these things are going to cause fruit, good fruit to come out of your life. Amen? Amen. Thank God for that. There's a right way to be right. There's a right way to be wrong. And there's a wrong way to be right. We want to be in his version of right. We want to be righteous. Amen? Stand up with me. Now, I know when we talked about this, in this version of the story, you are all Peter. You're all the one that was right to start with, right? But I've been both of these. I've been in Peter's shoes, and I've been in the rest of the apostles' shoes, been in the rest of the Jewish folks' shoes. I've been at places where I needed my thinking adjusted, and I've been at places where my thinking had been adjusted, and I had to convince someone else. It's okay to walk away from a discussion and still not agree. Because it's not your job to convince people of what the Holy Spirit can only convince them of. It's your job to speak the words that God has put on your heart to speak. It's your job to be obedient to Him. It's your job to serve Him. It's your job to walk in love at all times. Two people walk away from the discussion saying, still don't agree. That's not always a bad thing. Be patient. Thank God that people were patient with me. And I thank God that he's showing me how to be patient with others. This is how we're going to grow. Because growth requires change. Now, there are certain things that should never change. Your foundation is based on Christ. It's based on the word of God. It's based on the spirit of God. There are certain things that should never be shifted I'm not here to tell you we should have an open mind to everything. There are some things that the scripture is so clear about, you don't need to challenge it every, every you know, other year. But there are some things that you can go back and say, I guess I believed that all along because people just told me that. I guess I thought that all along because I've been reading this wrong or I've been thinking this wrong. And allow God to shift you. And he, unfortunately, he often uses people to shift you. So you have to be humble enough. It, we'd all love for an angel just to appear to us. And of course, we'd have listened to the angel, right? Yeah. Big old angel in our room just said we were wrong. Okay, I can receive that. But when God uses a person, oh, that's not so fun. Can we let God use people in our life? I believe we can. Let's, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you've been patient with us. You have been long-suffering with us. You've been good to us, merciful Beyond what we ever deserved, you have been. Now, Lord, we glorify you and give you thanks because we know that you're, you're changing us, you're shifting us, you're causing us to grow from grace to grace, from glory to glory. And that we're not just growing in knowledge, but we're growing in love. We're not just growing in wisdom, we're growing in mercy. We are growing in righteousness, and we thank you for it. And as we grow... I know that you're causing us to be agents and instigators of growth for those around us. Would you help us to do it in love, in humility? Could we also receive that with humility in Jesus' name? Now, Lord, I know that sometimes there are issues that are still amongst us, still, still creeping around the corner, still lurking, that we've never quite dealt with, or people we still feel tension with. I'm asking you, Lord, that you'd reveal that to our hearts. And you would, by your spirit, enable us, empower us, and help us to make that right. If there's been any strife or division in the church, and we've not done everything on our end to pursue peace, speak to us now. 
And we will, by your spirit, through your power, we will go and make it right. We will forgive who we need to forgive. We will repent if we need to repent. We want to be people that are pure, cleansed, and useful for every good work. We want to be vessels of honor that you can use for anything. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I prayed that and you said amen, oh, you said amen. Oops. You signed the document. Now, I trust that you'll take that seriously, what we just prayed. I trust that you'll let God reveal to you. If there's someone, something, if there's been a rift, and there's something you can do on your end to make it right, even if you're in the right, if you can do something to make it right, without compromising what you believe, you can go and you can make that right. Because maybe you were right, but you handled being right in the wrong way. I'd, I'd ask you to take that prayer seriously. And if God begins to reveal it, oh, he, can some, he is so awesome. And yet it's so annoying sometimes when he vis, talks to you in the night and you realize, oh, man, I got to go talk to that person. <laughs> Rather just ignore it. But if he does, would you do yourself a favor? Would you go and just do it? And handle it and let Jesus be Lord. Let Jesus be Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you very much.